Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Okay, so we are reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 5, Chapter 3, Shabdev's appearance in the womb of Meru Devi, the wife of King Nabi. And we are on verse number 3. Okay, Lord Vishnu appeared before King Nabi with four arms. He was very bright and he appeared to be the best of all personalities. Around the lower portion of his body. So, so this is the, uh, okay, so this is the appearance of the Lord. Um, I guess it's kind of self-explanatory. Uh, he wore a yellow silk, uh, silken garment. On his chest was the mark of Srivatsa which always displays beauty. He carried a concha, lotus flower, disc, and club, and he wore a garland of forest flowers and the kushtuba gem. He was beautifully decorated with a helmet, earring, bangles, belt, pearl, necklace, armlets, ankle bells, and other beautiful, I just lost track of where I was, and other bodily ornaments bedecked with radiant jewels. Seeing the Lord present before them, King Nabi and his priests and associates felt just like poor people who have suddenly attained great riches. They received the Lord and respectfully bent their heads and offered him things to worship. So Prabhupada writes in the purport that um, it says, no one is more attractive or more authoritative than Lord Krishna. I like that. Then he goes on to say, as stated in Bhagavad Gita, yam labdva chaparam labdham manyate nadikam tata. Uh, upon gaining this, one thinks there's no greater gain. When one realizes God and sees the Lord face to face, one certainly thinks that he has gained the best of all things. When one experiences a higher taste, his consciousness is fixed. After seeing the Supreme Personality of God, one ceases to be attracted by anything material. One then remains steady in his worship of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So one thing I, I find interesting here is that so Prabhupada is quoting chapter 2, verse 59 of the Gita, a very important verse, that one um, can only give up lower taste by experiencing a higher taste. And, you know, usually in ISKCON, we talk about the higher taste, um, you know, kind of on a on a our level, <laughs> put it that way, okay? Right, of, you know, get, you know in, in, in experiencing a nice kirtan, uh, getting some realizations about after attending a class, um, talking, spending some time with devotees. But here in this verse, we're also talking about a higher taste on a very high level, right? When one actually sees the Lord face to face. So that's kind of, I just found that that's, that's uh, interesting for us to see because here, um, <laughs> Prabhupada's, you know, it seems kind of obvious, right? When you see Krishna face to face, you then your consciousness is really fixed. And for us, our one, one um, way of being very fixed and measuring our fixedness is a ongoing higher taste so that the lower tastes of this world do not seem attractive. Mm -hmm. So it can be, so it's, it seems like the Param Drisva can be experienced on different levels. I just thought that's important. That's that's interesting, right? The, that Param Drisva, the higher taste of Krishna consciousness, is something to be considered on on many levels. Some thoughts on that?
No, we're good. Let me just, uh, okay, then we'll go on to verse number seven. So four and five, the priest began to offer prayers to the Lord saying, Oh, most worshipful one, we are simply your servants. Although you are full in yourself, please, out of your causeless mercy, accept a little service from us, your eternal servants. We are not actually aware of your transcendental form, but we can simply offer our respectful obeisances again and again, as instructed by the Vedic, by the Vedic literatures and authorized acharyas. Materialistic living entities are very much attracted to the modes of material nature, and therefore they are never perfect. But you are above the jurisdiction of all material conceptions. Your name, form, and qualities are all transcendental and beyond the conception of experiential, not experimental knowledge. Indeed, who can conceive of you? In the material world, we can perceive only material names and qualities. We have no other power than to offer our respectful obeisances and prayers unto you, the transcendental person. The chanting of your auspicious transcendental qualities will wipe out the sins of all mankind. That is the most auspicious activities for us, and we can thus partially understand your supernatural position. Beautiful prayer. Huh? Very beautiful prayer. Text 6. O Supreme Lord, you are full in every respect. You are certainly very satisfied with your devotees when your devotees offer you prayers with faltering voices and an ecstasy bring you tulasi leaves, water, twigs bearing new leaves and newly grown grass. This surely makes you satisfied. We have engaged in your worship with many things, verse 7, and have offered sacrifices unto you. But we think that there is no need for so many arrangements to please your lordship. And Srila Prabhupada writes, Srila Rupa Goswami says that as one is offered varied food but has no appetite, the offering has no value. Have you ever had that experience right? of not having an appetite? And even the most delectable things don't look like very enticing. As a matter of fact, sometimes they look kind of revolting. Right? Um, that's one of the um, the symptoms of coronavirus is a lack, lack of appetite. Right, right, right. In a big sacrificial ceremony, there may be many things accumulated to satisfy the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But if there is no devotion, attachment, or love for the Lord, the arrangement is useless. The Lord is complete in himself, and he doesn't need anything from us. However, if we offer him a little water, a flower, and a tulasi beef, he will accept them. Bhakti, devotional service, is the main way to satisfy the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It's not a question of arranging huge sacrifices. The priests were regretful, there's that word again, thinking that they were not on the path of devotional service and that their sacrifice was not pleasing to the Lord. So, um, yeah, devotion is is what Krishna tastes. We've, we've said that many times. We quoted uh, 926 of the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna mentions, you know, if one offers me a leaf of the water, a leaf, a flower, fruit, or water, and he mentions the word bhakti twice. And he says, if you perform it with bhakti, then asnami, then he accepts it. So I can, we can't say that a sacrifice like this one is useless. I mean, Prabhupada uses that word. You know, there may be some benefit, Although Prabhupada does use the word useless here, because he's emphasizing bhakti, that things are to be done with devotion. In the previous purport, or is it the one coming up? 
uh, oh, it's the next one where he says, you know, we, we're really not building gorgeous temples for Krishna. He doesn't need them. Uh, this is for our benefit. When we attempt something nice to please the Lord, he is pleased with us and gives us benediction. So it's, so building a new nice temple or as we're trying to do here in DC is for our benefit in the sense that we get to offer the fruits of our work and we get to uh, pray that we can, you know, be successful. So it's really for our benefit. Um, any thoughts on that? Hare Krishna. Yes, Nandi Muki. I was just have one thinking about this mentioning of, uh, uh, about like if one is offered very food but has no appetite, the offering has no value. I was thinking Krishna always have an appetite. <laughs> <laughs> but for what? <laughs> for whatever offering at whatever time. He always has an appetite. Yeah, because he can consume the whole world, right, if he wants to. Yeah. I was uh, just, uh, but he doesn't accept it from non-devotees, right? Yes. I was just uh, praising this generosity. Yes, yes. Uh, just like if one goes to uh, uh, the um, town of Anayor at Govardhan, right? And that's where Krishna ate this huge mountain of offerings. And, and Prabhupada will also say that... Uh, he eats, 50, what is it, 56 times a day or something like that in um, Puri? Right? <laughs> so, yes, he can eat unlimited, but he, as long as it's, uh, he'll even eat a banana peel instead of the banana, right? If uh, yeah. if uh, it's offered with devotion. So that the offering will always have a value. Yes, yes, yes. So we can also think about that in terms of our, present situation locked in our houses or whatever that um, we can do uh, manasapuja. I think, did we talk about that last week on this call? But, uh, you know, we can, we can think of Radha Madan Mohan and that we're taking darshan of them. Um, just like when you're traveling and sometimes you can't, if you have deities that you're taking, that you have in your home and because of travel or, or illness or something, you can't, literally offer them food and and dress them and bathe them or whatever you can do that in your mind so this might be a good time for um offering krishna things in in our mind question on manasa puja yes Hare krishna um is there ever a time when i don't know um because our mind is so we think of our mind as unlimited and we can you know imagine anything so is there a time when uh, we, the manasa becomes, you know, we step over the line in our mind or, you know, like that? Well, I think the biggest concern we have to have is for laziness, right? That, you know, I'm just going to do everything in my mind because I'm just too lazy to go ring the bell and cook something and offer it. And, you know, so that's, I think, the... Uh, the biggest challenge in one place probably talks about how we can offer golden this and diamonds that, and just think of the most opulent offerings to the Lord, most beautiful offerings if we wish to. <clears throat> it's kind of like sometimes I, I, you know, when I was younger, I would, uh, I would think of, uh, and I know some devotees have done this. Uh, you know, you walk into a grocery store, you take out your Brahmin thread and just offer all the vegetables except for the onions and the garlic and things like that. <laughs> I just hope that, Krishna will accept everything there so that the people who buy them will get prasadam. <laughs> that, that's kind of what, no, I, not 
not questioning what you did or or that kind of neophyte enthusiastic activity but um i'm thinking you know if if someone uh doesn't really know or or hasn't doesn't know the uh, the limits to the relationship and and you know proposes something that uh, I'm not speaking necessarily myself, but just somebody some something that's posed as inappropriate or improper. Um, you know, like that's what I mean by over the line. Um, you uh, that saying familiarity breeds contempt, for example. Uh, and you're 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 imagining in your mind something in in the relationship that uh, is way above your realization. Yeah, well, that's that's another thing we we might want to be a little careful about. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Now I'm not going to hammer down any more on uh, poor Andy about regret, but there, there's one more <laughs> quote from this. Uh, from the frame of Rivarta, and then we'll stop the regret thing. But just about how regret can be very useful. This is from the frame of Vivarta, Prema Yashvi, Prema Vivarta. So it says, um, the living entity wanders in the material world taking one birth after another. If by chance he comes in contact with a saintly person, he becomes immediately knowledgeable of his true identity as a pure spirit soul and eternal servant of Krishna. Then he becomes enlightened by this knowledge, and he does not want material entanglement anymore. He thus laments, Oh no, alas, why have I served this illusory material energy for so long? He bitterly, what's the word? Regrets. Regrets. <laughs> and cries out, Krishna, my Lord, I am your eternal servant. Ever since I left the shelter of your lotus feet, my life has been completely devastated. Lord Krishna is so merciful that if anyone appeals to him, earnestly, he immediately releases the jiva from material entanglement. Then when the jiva breaks away from Maya's captivating spell and strives towards Lord Krishna by rendering devotional service, he regains, he regains the supreme shelter of the Lord's lotus feet. Then Lord Krishna makes this soul strong with his transcendental internal potency, and the overbearing power of the Lord's spiritual potency weakens Maya's influence over the living entity. Nice, huh? Okay, shall we, shall we continue then? We're going on now to verse 11. So verse 8, all of life's goals and opulences are directly, self-sufficiently, unceasingly, and unlimitedly increasing in you at every moment. Indeed, you are unlimitedly, you are unlimited enjoyment and blissful existence itself. As far as we are concerned, O Lord, we are always after material enjoyment. You do not need all these sacrificial arrangements but they are meant for us so that we may be benedicted by your Lordship. All these sacrifices are performed for our fruitive results, and they are not actually needed by you. O Lord of Lords, we are completely ignorant of the execution of dharma, artha, kama, and moksha, the processes of liberation, because we do not actually know the goal of life. You have appeared personally before us like a person soliciting worship. But actually, you are present here just so we can see you. You have come out of your abundant and causeless mercy in order to serve our purpose, our interests, and give us the benefit of your personal glory called Upavarga, liberation. You have come 
although we are not, although you are not properly worshipped by us due to our ignorance. O most worshipable of all, you are the best of all benefactors, and your appearance as at saintly King Nabi's sacrificial arena is meant for our benediction. Because you have been seen by us, you have bestowed upon us the most valuable benediction. Dear Lord, all the great sages who are thoughtful and saintly persons incessantly recount your spiritual qualities. These sages have already burned up all the unlimited dirty things and by the fire of knowledge strengthened their detachment from the material world. Thus, they have attained your qualities and are self-satisfied. Yet, even for those who feel spiritual bliss in chanting your attributes, your personal presence is very rare. And then Prabhupada writes that the Lord's appearance is rare even for great saintly persons who have become completely detached from this material world and whose hearts are clean due to constant chanting of the glories of the Lord. Such a person, such pers- such people are satisfied by chanting the transcendental qualities of the Lord. The Lord's personal presence is not actually required. The priests are pointing out that the Lord's personal presence is very rare even for such elevated sages but that he was so kind to them that now he was personally present. Um, so, yeah, we may not get the darshan of the Lord like we hear that happened here or Narada's, but the point is that, and as we've talked about so many times, um, we can get that from the holy name, right? In the second canto, it says, O king, constant chanting of the holy name of the Lord after the ways of the great authorities is the doubtless and fearless way of success for all. Uh, and then Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments on this verse and he says that um, it is understood in the scripture, in this scripture, bhakti is described. Among the angas of bhakti, which is defined, which is defined as the chief one, standing out like an emperor exerting power everywhere, this verse answers the question. Amongst the angas of bhakti, hearing, chanting, and remembering are the three chiefs. Among these three, chanting is the chief. In chanting, however, there is chanting of the Lord's name, chanting of his qualities, chanting of his pastimes. Among these, anukirtana, chanting of his names according to one's own bhakti, uh, is best. Anukirtana means constantly, continuous chanting. This is not only my conclusion, this has been concluded by the previous acharyas. Therefore, there is no need for further inquiry or proofs. So, by regular, by chant, when we're chanting Krishna's name, we're associating with them. Then, we have to be, we want to work towards chanting the real name. Because often what we're doing now is chanting the shadow of the name. So, we were talking about eating a few minutes ago, and uh, Nandi Mukhi was talking about how Krishna can eat unlimitedly. Um, the difference between chanting the real name and chanting the uh, Nam Abbas, the a shadow, it could be, it's like the difference, you know, you're hungry and someone gives you a wonderful plate of prasadam or someone, uh, someone gives you a wonderful plate of prasadam and you sit down to eat it, but, or they say, no, you can't eat this, you have to eat what's in the mirror. The, the reflection of that is all you get. You can't actually, you know, directly taste it. So that's gives a, you know, so you're going to remain hungry. You're not going to be satisfied. You're going to be frustrated, right? So um, we, it's a gradual process, but we want to go towards chanting uh, 
the full Shudanam, the, the full name of Krishna, not just Namabas. Sometimes we read about the glories of Namabas, that it gives everything up to liberation, and we could think, well, that's not so bad. That's pretty good. I'll, you know, let me chant, continue chanting Namabas. But really, it's nothing compared to the Shudanam, the real actual chanting of Krishna's name. And for that to happen, uh, we really need to uh, chant in, as uh, Sachin Anamaraj points out, in Sambandha, in relationship with Krishna, and understand that we're, when we chant Krishna's name, Krishna's personally present. It's a, it's a relationship. So although the sages here are saying that it's rare, um, it's not rare if we're chanting. He, as Prabhupada writes in the purport, such people are satisfied by chanting the transcendental qualities, qualities of the Lord. So some thoughts on that? By the way, you're all on mute, so you have to go unmute if you want to say something. Hare Krishna Prabhu, please. Yes, I was hoping, is your name is Ma Mantra, that you would say something. Uh, no, Prabhu, I'm asking, can you give some tips, Prabhu, for chanting in relationship? Oh, uh, you have this book as much as I do. I was just reading it. Um, he, he, Sachin Anamaraj talks, it has a chapter on this. He talks about repentance, sorry, as a good first step, and that Krishna responds to it. He, Krishna, and so he says, uh, he quotes the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Krishna says, it is my vow that if one only once sincerely surrenders to me, saying, my dear Lord, from this day I am yours, and prays to me for courage, then I shall immediately award courage to that person, and he will always remain safe from that time onwards. So um, the, the gaining some knowledge of Krishna, you know, who Krishna is, is, is certainly important. Um, to, uh, let's see what else. I'm just thumbing through these pages quickly. Um, meditating on the meaning of the mantra. Mm -hmm. That's a relationship. Oh, my dear Radharani, my dear Krishna, please engage me in your service. That's very much a relationship building thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, calling out to Krishna, um, and understanding that, you know, we're dependent on him to be freed, uh, from Maya. And also to, uh, remember that we're kind of in a lost relationship with the Lord and we want to rekindle that relationship. Maharaj mm -hmm. tells a story about it in uh, World War, after World War II, um, and he knows a lot about World War II because his father, uh, was in Germany at the time. Um, there, there were many in many parts of Europe. Uh, people were were separated from one another, uh, sometimes for years and years. And when they reunited, it was such a touching experience. Some of them had been, you know, babies and had never met their father and mother, right? Um, and so, imagine what it will be like when we reunite with our Krishna with our best friend. So again, just anything that, that gets us thinking in terms of relationship and that Krishna is a person. Is that all right, Mama? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Other thoughts, questions, comments? Okay, should we go on then? Uh, Hare Krishna. Yes, go ahead, Nandi. Okay. I was thinking about another saying that I encountered from different places that, uh, 
self-realization and God-realization happen simultaneously. Here we see the Lord appear before the priests, and the priests realize the Lord and themselves simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And also, because that statement for us who is on this uh, lower platform can be can be a little bit abstract in a way. Um, I think I think that uh, really it means that when we realize uh, Krishna and then we simultaneously understand the position from which we see Krishna, that's the meaning of that is the meaning of self-realization. Well, that's an interest. So we see. Are you saying see Krishna differently based on our realization? When we see Krishna, we understand ourselves. Yes. In the sense that we understand our position. Yes. uh, From where we see Krishna. Right. So when we become God-realized, we automatically become self-realized. Now, depending on how we define self-realization, when we're self-realized, we may or may not be God-realized, right? Yes. Self-realization may also be on the Brahman platform. Yes. Or the Paramatma platform, and not necessarily in relationship, as we've been talking about with Krishna. Does that make sense to you? Right. Yeah. So it's a, you know, pouring water on the root kind of thing. If we take shelter, if we get a relationship with Krishna, then every Sarvakama, uh, what's that verse? Akama Saruka. All of our, all of our desires are, uh, are, are satisfied. Sarvakama Kritahoy. Um, that's that's another verse. <laughs> but anyway, well, you get the point. <laughs> that we, everything's satisfied when we take shelter of Krishna. Thank you for that. Thank you. Anything else? Yeah, I do. Yes, go ahead, Andy. Uh, I can't state the exact purport, but it's coming up. But actually, uh, um, seeing Krishna from within is the only way to see Krishna, uh, because if you use your material senses, they cannot conceive of all his, of what he really is. That's stated. Right. So he, he very mercifully provides visualizations like in the form of the, of the deities or even when he appeared to them, it was just something he was making for them to look at, but they weren't seeing the real impossible to conceive Krishna. So the only way you could possibly do that is from inside with a, a deep realization, I think. Well, I, I definitely, I totally accept, agree with your last point with, when you use the deep realization because Krishna is understood by the devotee on one level based on the devotee's advancement and on another level based on how much Krishna wants to reveal to that devotee, right? So uh, it's even said that Krishna was present on the earth and not everyone realized, understood he was a supreme personality of Godhead. So that confirmed your point, but some did. And what was that? What was that? That was based on their devotion, not, not based on, you know, wearing the right glasses or having 20-20 vision or anything like that. So, so I accept, yeah, definitely your point. Um, Krishna, of course, is within and without. And sometimes when we talk about the Krishna within, we're talking about the super soul, the Paramatma, as opposed to the Bhagavan feature. But for a devotee, the um, the Paramatma practically becomes, like you're saying, the Bhagavan feature. 
for the devotee and they see Shamsa, they understand that Krishna is in their heart. Ishwara Sarva Bhutanam. So yes, so I'm I'm agreeing with you with that caveat that it's uh, it's based on how much Krishna reveals to us, which is often based on our level of devotion and purity. Is that all right? Yeah, that helps the realization. Yeah, I was basically agreeing with Nandi Muki that the interior seeing of Krishna is, I think, is the most important. Yeah, yeah, interior seeing. It's an interesting, when you think about it literally, it's an interesting juxtaposition, right? Because usually seeing, we think of our eyes and interior, we think here. Um, but as you were saying, actually, as the verse that we just read said that it's rare that somebody sees see that, that Krishna appears. Actually, what you're saying is, is very good. That, according to that verse that we were saying, uh, reading just now, it's rare that Krishna appears like face to face like that, but he's always available through his holy name. Thank you for that. So, yes, um, I am remembering something like Manikubara Nalagriva's pastime deliverance and appearing to Dhru Maharaj, you know, in person. So there is the intervention of his pure devotee. So he also appears to uphold his pure devotees. Uh, promise. So, uh, what I'm seeing is like it's Krishna is very kind and compassionate. Right. So, if there is some recommendation and he doesn't mind coming, it's not like you know, Dhruva was uh, 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 you know on the platform of like Raganuga or, or Raganuga Bhakti. Who was Dhruva when yeah, when the Lord appeared, but then he realized his position right? and what he was hankering. All those things came after he saw the Lord. So I'm, I'm just glorifying a devote, pure devotee's yeah. uh, intervention, uh, you know, in uh, yeah. making the Lord appear to, you know, such. Um, Very good. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, just to, um, not to get picky, but just so that, because you know we studied nectar devotion so many years ago, but uh, he wasn't not that Dhruva was exactly a Raganuga. Raganuga indicates someone first of all on the level of sadhana, but secondly uh, someone who's attracted to Vrindavan pastimes. Right, uh, and that wasn't necessarily Dhruva. He was a, as far as I can understand, a Vaikuntha man, as we say. <laughs> yeah, but he was on a, he was beyond sadhana. Right. Also. But yes, thank you for that. Um, okay, let's move on to 12. And we're going up to 14 now before we read something else. Um, Dear Lord, we may not be able to remember your name, form, and qualities due to stumbling, hunger, falling down, yawning, or being in a miserable disease condition at the time of death when there is a high fever. We therefore pray unto you, O Lord, for you are very affectionate to your devotees. Please help us remember you and utter your holy names, attributes, and activities, which can dispel all the reactions of sinful life, lives. Um, of, of, I'm sorry, of our sinful lives. Dear Lord, here is the great King Nabi, whose ultimate goal in life is to have a son like you. Your Lordship, his, your Lordship 
His position is like that of a person approaching a very rich man and begging for a little grain. Maharaj Nabi is so desirous of having a son that he is worshipping you for a son, although you can offer him any exalted position, including <coughs> elevation to the heavenly planets or liberation back to Godhead. And it probably writes that the priests were a little ashamed that Maharaj Nabi was asking for this. Dear Lord, unless one worships the lotus feet of great devotees, one will be conquered by the illusory energy and his intelligence will be bewildered. Indeed, one has not been, one, oh, wait, indeed, who has not been carried away by the waves of material enjoyment, which are like poison? Your illusory energy is unconquerable. No one can see the path of this material energy or tell how it is working. Prabhupada writes in the purport, um, everyone is subjected to the influence of Maya and entanglement in all kinds of material desire. And Maharaj Nabi was no exception. Freedom from Maya's influence is possible when one engages in the service of the great devotees. Mahach Charana Seva. So um, the this is the secret of success, right? Is to please Krishna's devotees. And the interesting thing, it's also in one sense the secret of the parampara, because everyone wants to please. It's not that we're trying to please Prabhupada and then everything stops at Prabhupada. Right? He's passing everything on to please his guru. And Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur is trying to please his guru. So there's this connection between Krishna and the spiritual master and the sadhus. I was reading um, the devotees were in Japan with Srila Prabhupada and they, had, they were singing the Mangala Arti. And Prabhupada was singing along, you know, Sangsara Dava Nadalida and at the end, they got inspired to chant Jaya Prabhupada, Jaya Prabhupada. And Prabhupada chanted along with them, Jaya Prabhupada, Jaya Prabhupada. <laughs> and they could understand that he was glorifying his guru. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was, you know, when they were chanting Prabhupada and thinking of him, he was chanting Prabhupada and thinking of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. So this is the beauty of the Guru Parampara. No one is holding on to the admiration or the respect for themselves, but passing it on through the chain of the siblings' succession to Krishna. Some thoughts on that? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Raghunanda Prabhu. Um, it reminded me of uh, uh, the Vyasa Pujas that I have attended of my spiritual master, His Holiness Rohupal Swami Maharaj. So he is very... He is, uh, he is in that mode even when the Vyasa Puja is being conducted by the disciples for him. He is internally glorifying his spiritual master and passing it down to. And he does the Abhishek of Prabhupada's Murti and reads this uh, Vyasa Puja offerings that he had written uh, for Prabhupada. So he sets the mode and he is focused in that mode. So I found that always very inspiring. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, well, that, that's that's the mood of a disciple. And Prabhupada was uh, very much, and he saw the connection. Like you know, that time he was, it was his. Uh, and I can't. I think it was the appearance. Might have been the disappearance of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And he said he was just seeing that all of the disciples that he has is all the arrangement of his Guru Maharaj, um, and 
and he was seeing Krishna's arrangement also. And, you know, he said, I was born in a different family. My Guru Maharaj was born in a different family. Who knew that I would come to his shelter? Who knew that I would come to America? Who knew that you boys and girls would come to join me? And they said, this is all the arrangement to the Supreme Lord. It's a very beautiful lecture. Thank you, Raghunandam. Anything else on this? We're going on this chapter. Text 15. O Lord, you perform many wonderful activities. Our only aim was to acquire a son by performing this great sacrifice. Therefore, our intelligence is not very sharp. We are not experienced in ascertaining life's goal. By inviting you to this negligible sacrifice for some material motive, we have certainly committed a great offense at your lotus feet. Therefore, O Lord of Lords, please excuse our offense because of your causeless mercy and equal mind. It sounds a little bit like Juvamar saying, look, I, I was looking for broken glass and I got this great gem. Please forgive me for looking for the broken glass. Right? So now Sukadeva Goswami is speaking and he says, the priests who were even uh, who were even worshipped by King Nabi, the emperor of Bharat, Barsha, offered prayers in prose. Generally, they were in poetry and bowed down at the Lord's lotus feet. The Lord of Lords, the ruler of the demigods, was very pleased with them and began to speak as follows. The Supreme Personality of Godhead replied, O oh, great sages, I am certainly very pleased with your prayers. You are all truthful. You have prayed for the benediction of a son like me for King Nabi. This is very difficult to obtain. Since I am the Supreme Person without a second, and since no one is equal to me, Another personality like me is not possible to find. In any case, because you are all qualified Brahmanas, your vibration should not prove untrue. I, re I consider the Brahmanas who are well qualified with Brahminical qualities to be good as my own mouth. Prabhupada writes, God is, well, so here's a, and I say, God is one, and God does not belong to this or that religion. In Kali Yuga, different religious sects consider their God to be different from the God of others. But that is not possible. God is one, and he is appreciated according to different angles of vision. So this verse, in this verse, the word kaival, kaivalyat means that God has no competitor. There is only one God. So why do we see, this is kind of connected to what Nandi Muki was saying. So God is God. So why do we perceive things differently? That is based on our vision, right? That is based on our purity. That is based on the culture we were born into. That is based on our purva samskars, our previous spiritual impressions, right? Um, and even even in Krishna consciousness, as, as we all use that example so often that when Krishna entered the wrestling arena, the different devotees uh, saw Krishna differently. So, you know, according to our association, our culture, our purity, our sincerity, um, we'll, we'll, we'll be attracted to different understandings of God. But that doesn't change God. Just because someone thinks that, you know, God is an old man reaching out like in the Sistine Chapel and touching Adam, that, that Krishna is not playing a flute, <laughs> right? Just because some people don't... Uh, think of him, conceive of him in that way instead of playing the flute. Um, so we're all talking about the same God, just like Prabhupada would, the simple example he would often give, that there's only one sun, 
Uh, but in different countries, they have different names for the sun. Right? So, of course, today is a very important day for the Christ, for our Christian friends around the world. It's the most, probably the most holy day of their year, where for their, from their understanding, uh, Jesus was killed on, on Friday, um, buried, and then uh, risen on Easter, on Sunday, which is today. Um, so that might not be exactly our understanding, because our understanding, of course, is that the soul uh, never dies. But, you know, so there may be some slight detailed differences, but, you know, God is God. So I, 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 I like that little excerpt there and thought I would mention it. Some thoughts on this? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Raghunanda Prabhu. Uh, it, it also reminded me of that analogy where uh, it said like sun is up there and in some places it might be cloudy and because of that the sun might be covered, but in other places the sun is still visible. Right. So depending upon the place and our angle of vision, we sometimes are able to see it, we are sometimes are not able to see it. So in similar way, we might be seeing God and being different angles of vision. Uh, the, the perspective of God is different, but still God is one. Right, and just because we're covered by clouds, it doesn't, like we'll sometimes say, oh, there's no sun today. But that's obviously not a, you know, that's not a literal statement. The sun remains the sun, whether there's clouds over a little portion of the world, one little planet or not, right? So uh, I remember, you know, so if one, our, we liked, we, we want to hear about Krishna from authorities, hear about, you know, what he looks like and what his address is and, and, uh, and this and that and, and have an accepting heart to those descriptions because we don't know we how can we otherwise know right you can't figure out the personality of godhead by our mental efforts we've talked about this before why a flute why not a trombone or whatever right and why this color and not that color and why right all those things because christ you know god is who god is and our accepting or rejecting of him or accepting part of him doesn't change it other thoughts? Hi, Krishna Prabhu. Uh, yes, Prabhu, uh, what I heard is today, uh, I was listening to one of our Guru Maharaj's lecture, Rupat Maharaj. He was saying that uh, the God manifest to the most pleasing uh, 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 for the devotee, that like whatever the most pleasing form of the devotee look uh, looking for. Um, I, that is also one of the reasons he's uh, is, is one, but like the form uh, is that uh, just purely related to the devotees, uh, uh, how it how it's getting pleased? Um, you know, basically, I'm not saying the right words, but like he just tried to please the devotee, and that is how the form gets formed. Right. So he appears before Bhishma Dev differently than he appears before Shrimati Radharani, for example, because he's pleasing both of them according to the form of the Lord that they want to see and That's experience. True. Yeah. Good. Anything else? So it's a big deal for, I would say there's probably many, many, many Christians who this is the first time in their life they're not in a church on Easter Sunday. Just like if if uh, if this is extended through Jamastami, for many of us, it'll be the first time we're not in the temple for Jamastami. <laughs> we'll still be fasting, though. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, we'll still be fasting, correct. <laughs> well, you know, on Easter, a lot of times the Christians have an outdoor sunrise service, and they're actually out there just as the sun comes up. And uh, so they, they can do that. Have, yeah, it's a very lovely, lovely thing, but obviously they can't do that now. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's a hardship. Celebrate with a big family gathering or in a synagogue, you know, it's yeah, it's a challenge. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Does anyone else find it fascinating? I, I, I We were reading through these verses and um, that these devotees are coming before the Lord and uh, you, you were mentioning it. They were practically feeling guilty that they were uh, praying for the Lord as their son, but other devotees in the Bhagavatam have also prayed for Krishna to be their son, uh, most notably Devaki and Vasudev. Um, but they don't, they don't have, uh, they didn't express these particular kinds of regret. Right. Well, one difference might be that these are the priests doing it on behalf of the king as opposed to the direct Devaki. Right. Okay. So they didn't. They didn't have that 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 feeling within themselves of right. wanting. Uh huh. That's yeah. very interesting. That Maybe one one explanation. Uh, Shushil Paul says, "How can we improve? Uh, how we improve our devotion? Most of us are uh, influenced by the mode of ignorance, and we may follow up." And uh, with lots of demigods, can you please give an idea? Well, one thing is to read the Bhagavatam and read the Chaitanya Charitamrita. These books are all written from the absolute point of view, the bhakti point of view. And another thing is to associate, you know, simple points that we make is to associate with those who have devotion. That's considered the root of bhakti is to associate with devotees. And of course, to chant. Krishna's name. So those three things we chant, if we hear from a great devotee like Prabhupada in Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, um, and uh, we associate with devotees and chant, then we'll be, that's one great way to increase our devotion. Finishing this chapter, text uh, 18. Since I cannot find anyone equal to me, I shall personally expand myself into a plenary portion and thus advent myself in the womb of Meru Devi, the, uh, the wife of Maharaj Nabi, the son of Agnidra. Sukadeva Goswami continued, After saying this, the Lord disappeared. The wife of King Nabi, Queen Meru Devi, was sitting by the side of her husband and consequently she could hear everything the Supreme Lord had spoken. O Vishnu Tata, Prichit Maharaj, the Supreme Personality of God, who was pleased by the great sages at the sacrifice. Consequently, the Lord decided to personally exhibit the method of executing religious principles um, and also satisfy Maharaj Nabi's desire. Consequently, he appeared as the son of Meru Devi and in his original spiritual form, which is above the material modes. So now that's the end of... Chapter 3, and now going on to the characteristics of Rishabhadev, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now, um, in this chapter, just look at my notes for a second here. 
we hear about the uh, renunciation of Maharaj Nabi and then the character of Vishabhadev. And we're all kind of gearing up, you could say, for the big chapter, chapter five, which is where we hear Vishabhadev's teachings to his sons, which are very, very famous. And Prabhupada would quote very, very often. So we're going to go through this chapter quite quickly. Um, I think we only have one verse. Yes, verse six. Okay, so put on your seatbelts and here we go. Sri Sukadeva Goswami said, As soon as the Lord was born as the son of Maharaj Nabi, he manifested symptoms of the Supreme Lord, such as marks on the bottoms of his feet. The son was equal to everyone and very peaceful. He could control his senses and his mind, and possessing all opulence, he did not hanker for material enjoyment. Endowed with these attributes, the son of Maharaj Nabi became more powerful day by day. Due to this, the citizens, learned Brahmanas, demigods, and ministers wanted Rishabhadev to uh, be appointed the ruler of the earth. When the son of Maharaj Nabi became visible, he evinced all good qualities described by the great poets, namely a well-built body with all the symptoms of the Godhead, prowess, strength, beauty, name, fame, influence, and enthusiasm. When the father, Maharaj Nabi, saw all these qualities, he thought his son to be the best of human beings or the supreme being. Therefore, he gave him the name Rishab, which means the best, the greatest. Indra, the king of heaven. So now we hear a little bit of how powerful Rishabdev is. Uh, Indra, the king of heaven, who is very materially opulent, became envious of King Rishabdev. Consequently, he stopped pouring water on the planet known as Parthavarsh. At that time, the Supreme Lord, Vishabhadev, the master of all mystic power, understood King Indra's purpose and smiled a little. Then he, uh, then by his own prowess, through Yogamaya, he profusely poured water upon his own place, which is, was known as Ajanabha. Due to getting a perfect son, according to his desire, King Nabi was always overwhelmed with transcendental bliss and was very affectionate to his son. It was with ecstasy and a faltering voice that he addressed him, my dear son, my darling. This mentality was brought about by Yogamaya, whereby he accepted the Supreme Lord, the Supreme Father, as his own son. Out of his supreme goodwill, the Lord became his son and dealt with everyone as if he were an ordinary human being. Thus, King Nabi began to raise his transcendental son with great affection, and he was overwhelmed with transcendental bliss, joy, and devotion. Text 5. King Nabi understood that his son Rishabhadev was very popular among the citizens and amongst government officers and ministers. Understanding the popularity of his son, Maharaj Nabi enthroned him as the emperor of the world to give protection to the great, the general populace in terms of the Vedic religious system. To do this, he entrusted him in the hands of learned brahmanas who would guide him in administering the government. Then Maharaj Nabi and his wife Meru Devi went to Bharat Badarak Ashram in the Himalaya mountains, where the king engaged himself very expertly in austerities and penances with great tribulation. In full samadhi, he worshipped the supreme personality of God at Narayan, who is Krishna in his plenary expansion. By doing so, in course of time, Maharaj Nabi was elevated to the spiritual world, known as Vaikuntha. So this is similar to uh, in the third canto, if you can remember that far back, that Kardamamuni, he begot the Supreme Lord, Kapiladev, but he still went to the forest. And in that purport, Prabhupada says, 
why would he leave? Why would, why would Maharaj Nabi go to Padraig uh, Ashram uh, when he has the Supreme Lord there as the son? And if I recall, the purport talks about how he was setting the example um, for doing so. And of course, the Lord was always with him as he was doing his meditation out in the forest. So, that, so very similar to Kardamamuni taking off after Kapila was born. Text six, Omaraj Prichit. To glorify Maharaj Nabi, the old sages composed two verses. One of them is this. Who can attain the perfection of Maharaj Nabi? Who can attain his activities? Because of his devotional service, the Supreme Personality of Godhead appeared to become his son. And just a simple thing, Prabhupada writes, the words Sudhena Karmana are significant in this verse. If work is not carried out in devotional service, it is contaminated by the modes of material nature. So in one sense, you know, there's that very binary understanding, right? Either transcendental or within the modes. Now, we know that, um, while we have that very binary thing, we also know that there's all kinds of shades of, of uh, <clears throat> you know, of, of pure devotion. There's uh, um, uh, Gana Mishra Bhakti, Karma Mishra Bhakti. There's uh, Karma mixed with the mode of goodness, Karma, I mean, Bhakti mixed with mode of passion, with mode of goodness, mode of ignorance. So there is like gradations. But I just liked in this purport, probably just making the, the clear demarcation. Right? If you're in devo- if you're fully in devotional service, then you're not contaminated by the modes of material nature. Any thoughts on that? Okay, well just interrupt me because um, I'm gonna be going through these verses till the end of this chapter. So be happy, feel free to interrupt if you have a point, okay? So the second prayer, we just heard the first prayer. Who is a better worshiper of the of Brahmanas than Maharaj Nabi? Because he worshipped the qualified Brahmanas to their full satisfaction, the Brahmanas by their Brahminical prowess showed Maharaj Nabi, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Narayan, in person. After Maharaj Nabi, de- Nabi departed for Padarik Ashrama, the Supreme Lord Vishabdev understood that his kingdom was his field of activities. He therefore showed himself as an example and taught the duties of a householder by first accepting brahmachari under the direction of spiritual masters. He also went to live at the spiritual master's place, the Gurukula. After his education was finished, he gave gifts, Guru Dakshina, to his spiritual masters and then accepted the life of a householder. He took a wife named Jayanti and begot 100 sons who were as powerful and qualified as he himself. His wife Jayanti had been offered to him by Indra, the king of heaven. Rishabdev and Jayanti performed householder life in an exemplary way, carrying out ritualistic activities ordained by the Shruti and Smriti Shastra. So it seems that um, things were made up between Indra and Rishabdev since Indra offered Jayanti as a wife. Yes? This is Jivita Das. So when you read this, uh, you know, the initial two verses, the translation we get two very important lessons. As Maharaj Nabi worshipped the Brahmanas, and Prabhupada said in his purpose, like, Brahmanas are the spiritual masters of the human society. So that's very significant. Like, sometimes people just look at Brahmanas and they say, oh, they're only here to, you know, beg for money and all that. That should not be the attitude. It's the greatest charity when you, you know, serve in helping your spiritual master in various services because through him you have that connection to Krishna. And the second lesson is Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that even he does not, you know, uh, stop working. He even prescribes 
he even carries out his prescribed duties while there is no duty for him in all the three worlds. So Rishabh Dev is looking at his kingdom and he's taking that, yes, this is my field of activities. Ah, Very good. Yes. And as we talked about before, so Brahmanas need to be qualified. Samadhamma tapaso cham. Yes. Yes. And then above the Brahmanas is the Vaishnavas. Mm-hmm. Okay, let us uh, continue. Can, can I offer a little aside? Yeah, sure, go ahead, Andy. Is it's it very quickly. Vitamins? No, no, no. <laughs> no, it just, it's kind of humorous, but it's but it still uh, uh, pertains to what we're studying. Okay. Krishna took a uh, study in a, in a guru. guru uh, that must have been the ultimate auditor of this kind of school, right? I mean... <laughs> It would have to be very, very perfect to be even close. <laughs> yeah. uh, wait, I, what, I don't. I didn't catch it about the auditor. What's that? What do you mean? Well, an auditor is just someone who who goes somewhere and see if their procedures are being followed oh, properly, okay. right? So this must have been the most ultimate auditor of all history. <laughs> Him going to school to tell you how to be spiritual. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had this great teacher named Sunday Panimuni, yeah. and he learned the sixty-four arts in uh, like that. So, That's it. but yes, he actually did have to do things like what you have to do in Gurukul. He had to perform austerities, yeah, they were yeah. out collecting things for their spiritual master uh, with his good friend Sudama, and they got lost in the forest and stayed overnight. Um, yeah. But, you know, we've had some challenges with our Gurukul system in Iskan, but when it's done well, it's, it's wonderful. My, my son was in Gurukul for uh, all... 12 years of his education and he had, he just loved it because it was, because uh, it's also um, when you perform austerities with other friends, you develop a real bond, right? And when you go through so many different experiences, traveling all over India, you know, getting up early, uh, tricking your, tricking your teachers and, you know, sneaking things into the Gurukul, you know, so you can watch a movie or something like that, you know, all those semi-naughty things and, and not-so-naughty things. And, uh, it's really uh, quite an experience, and he really, really uh, looks back at his time in Gurukul with very fond memories. Yeah, and, and he's, and of course, now with social media, he can keep in touch with all of his friends, and so many of them flew to Europe to, for his wedding because, you know, they just... There's such a close bond there. Like, I mean, not like, you know, we see that in, in, in its purest form in Krishna and Sudama. When Krishna, you know, hadn't seen Sudama for a long time and Sudama came to see him and immediately Krishna offered him his seat and washed his feet and inquired how are things. And even though, of course, in Krishna's case, he could read Sudama's mind and understood what his, what his wife really needed. And he fulfilled that. Any other thoughts? Okay, then let us keep going. Um, Avri Shabdev's 100 sons, the eldest named Bharata, was a great exalted devotee, qualified with the best attributes. In his honor, this planet has become known as Bharat Barsha. So, you know, sometimes people might have a road named after them or a part of a building, but how many people have a planet named after them? <laughs> Following part, uh, there were 99 other sons. Among these were the nine elderly sons named Kushavrata, Ilavrata, Brahmavarta, 
Malaya Ketu Padrasena Indra Sprik Vidharva and uh, Ki Kata. In addition to these sons were Kavi, Havi, Antariksha, Prabuddha, uh, Pipalayana, uh, Avirhotra, Dramila, Chamasa, and Karabhajana. These were all very exalted, advanced devotees and authorized preachers of Srimad Bhagavatam. These devotees were glorified due to their strong devotion to Vasudev, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, they were very exalted. To satisfy the mind perfectly, I, Sukadeva Goswami, shall hereafter describe the characteristics of these nine devotees when I discuss the conversation between Narada and Vasudev. That's in chapters 2 to 5 of the 11th canto. In addition to these 19 sons mentioned above, uh, there are 81 younger ones, all born of Rishabhadev and uh, Jayanti. According to the order of their father, they became well-cultured, well-behaved, very pure in their activities, and expert in Vedic knowledge and the performance of Vedic rituals. Thus, they all became perfectly qualified Brahmanas. Being an incarnation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Rishabhadev was fully independent because his form was spiritual, eternal, and full of transcendental bliss. He eternally had nothing to do with the four principles of material miseries, birth, death, old age, and disease. Nor was he materially attached. He was always equipoised, and he saw everyone on the same level. He was unhappy to see others unhappy, and he was a well-wisher of all living entities. Although he was a perfect person, personality, the Supreme Lord and controller of all, he nonetheless acted as if he were an ordinary conditioned soul. Therefore, he strictly followed the principles of Varnashrama Dharma and acted accordingly. In due course of time, the principles of Varnashrama Dharma have become neglected. Therefore, through his personal uh, characteristics and behavior, he taught the ignorant public how to perform duties within the Varnashrama Dharma. Within the Varnashrama Dharma. In this way, he regulated the great general populace and householder life, enabling them to develop religion and economic well-being and to attain reputations, sons and daughters, material pleasure, and finally, eternal life. By his instructions, he showed how people could remain householders and at the same time become perfect by following the principles of Varnashrama Dharma. Whatever action is performed by a great man, common men follow. Although Lord Vishaddev knew everything about confidential Vedic knowledge, which includes information of all types of occupational duties, he still maintained himself as a chatriya and followed the instructions of the brahmanas as they related to mind control, sense control, tolerance, and so forth. Thus he ruled the people according to the system of Varnashrama Dharma, which enjoins that the brahmanas instruct the chatriyas and the chatriyas administer to the state through the vaishas and sudras. Lord Vishadev performed all kinds of sacrifices 100 times according to the instructions of the Vedic literatures. Thus he satisfied Lord Vishnu in every respect. All the rituals were enriched by first-class ingredients. They were executed in holy places according to the proper time by priests who were all young and faithful. In this way, Lord Vishnu was worshipped and the prasad was offered to all the demigods. Thus the functions and festivals were all successful. No one likes to possess anything that is like a will-o'-the-wisp or a flower in the sky for everyone knows very well that such things do not exist. When Lord Rishabdev ruled the planet of Bharatavarsha, even common men did not want to ask for anything at any time by any means. No one ever asked for a will of the wisp. In other words, 
Everyone was completely satisfied and therefore there was no chance of anyone's asking for anything. The people were absorbed in great affection for the king. Since this affection was always expanding, they were not inclined to ask for anything. Last verse of this uh, chapter. Once while touring the world, Lord Vishabde, the Supreme Lord, reached a place called Brahmavarta. There was a great conference of learned Brahmanas at that place, and all the king's sons attentively heard the instructions of the Brahmanas there. At that assembly, within the hearing of the citizens, Rishabhdev instructed his sons, although they were already very well-behaved, devoted, and qualified, instructed them so that in the future they could rule the world very perfectly. Thus he spoke as follows. So here, this last verse, we're getting an introduction to the famous teachings of Lord Rishabhdev. Let's end about the purports of the fifth canto, fourth chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled The Characteristic of the Supreme Personality. So we're into the famous chapter now. Um, now it's said that these instructions that we're about to hear, that they were, uh, Bhagavatam says they were meant for sannyasis uh, who were hoping to become very advanced devotees. And uh, sannyasis, Prabhupada mentions, must abide by Lord Dev's teachings uh, while on the path of bhakti. And he, because he himself retired from family life and lived like a naked, actually he lived like a, a naked person even while still with his family. Lord Dev was so renounced. So uh, now, so yes, generally these are our um, instructions for sannyasis. Now, we don't have any sannyasis in this class. So we might say, well, is this really meant for me? So I can tell a, sh- a short story about that. So 1976, uh, Burijan Prabhu was walking along uh, the road with Prabhupada. And Prabhupada was talking about the sannyasis and that they need to minimize their eating and sleeping, uh, etc. They should be austere. And Burijan Prabhu asked about what was his expectation for householders? Because he was kind of thinking in his mind that uh, maybe they were more or less exempt <laughs> from some of these sannyasi rules. So then Prabhupada said very sarcastically, uh, oh, householders, they can eat and sleep 24 hours a day. <laughs> so uh, Prabhupada was, seems to be hinting that we shouldn't fall under the folly, the, the mistake of thinking that uh, only sannyasis need to be detached from matter that uh, we are all meant to love Krishna, and despite the differences in the two ashrams, both householders and sannyasis are souls, and thus constitutionally Krishna's eternal servant. Okay. So, uh, and then in the, in the beginning of this chapter, uh, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says that, that what Rishabhdev wants to do is establish bhakti, but theref- and therefore to to help in that, he's going to condemn thinking of material enjoyment as the goal of life. Okay, so we have time for at least at least one of these verses. So these are all very the three, four out of these next five verses are very very famous. And this one, Prabhupada would quote many times: "Nayam deho deho bhajam viloke kastan kaman arhate vidbujam ye tapo divyam putukayena satpam." Uh, Lord Rishabhdev told his sons, my dear boys, of all the living entities who have accepted material bodies in this world, 
one who has been awarded the human form of life should not work hard day and night simply for sense gratification, which is available even to dogs and hogs that eat stool. So that's the first part of this translation that Rishabdev is uh, condemning performing animal-like activities which waste our human life, okay? And Prabhupada would often, you know, in his talks and his lectures, uh, you know, don't be like dogs and hogs. He would, you know, he was specifically referring to this verse. Then he says, one, then the translation continues, one should engage in penance and austerity to attain the divine position of devotional service. So, so then the second part, Rishabh Dave is talking about, you know, attaining the goal of life, right? The goal of life being bhakti. And then finally, the third part of the translation, um, by such activities, one's heart is purified. And when one attains this position, he attains eternal blissful life, which is transcendental to material happiness and which continues forever. Hmm. So, um, this is, so he's telling us what we can gain by following this. Okay. So, uh, don't, so the first part, don't enjoy, try to, don't think the goal of life is to enjoy like the dogs and hogs. The goal of life is bhakti. And this is what you achieve if you follow my teachings. Lord Vishabdev is telling his sons. So, Prabhupada picks up on the mood very much in the purport. He says, human life means voluntarily practicing suffering for the advancement of spiritual life. There is, of course, suffering in the lives of animals and plants, which are suffering due to their past misdeeds. However, human beings should voluntarily accept suffering in the form of austerities and penances. And why? Not just to perform austerity, in order to obtain the divine life. After attaining the divine life, one can enjoy happiness eternally. So he's saying, you know, don't, don't get it caught up here. You can, in this one lifetime, you can enjoy eternally. After all, every living entity is trying to enjoy happiness, but as long as one is engaged, encaged in the material body, he has to suffer different kinds of misery. A higher sense is present in the human form. We should act according to superior advice in order to attain eternal happiness and go back to God. And then he gets into the whole, he says, a foolish civilization neglects to teach people how to rise to the platform of bhakti yoga. Without Krishna consciousness, a person, listen to this, without Krishna consciousness, a person is no better than a hog or a dog. The instructions of Vishabdev are very essential at this present moment. And we could fast forward this to now, Prabhupada wrote this in the 70s. People are being educated and trained to work very hard for sense gratification. And there is no sublime aim of life. A man travels during his livelihood, having home, uh, leaving home early in the morning, catching a local train and being packed in a compartment. You can envision this, those of us who have lived in India. He has to stand for an hour or two in order to reach his place of business. Then again, he takes a bus to get to the office. At the office, he works hard from nine to five, and that's not anymore. It's more much longer than those hours usually. Then he takes two or three hours to return home. After eating, he has sex and goes to sleep. For all this ha- hardship, the only happiness is a little sense. Vishabdev clearly states that human life is not meant for this kind of existence, which is enjoyed even by dogs and hogs. So you can see how Prabhupada is really, his purpose is really picking up on uh, the mood of 
of Lord Rishab Dave teaching here. And this, just so you get an idea, I did, you know, um, Prabhupada, where I had it written down someplace. He, uh, oh yeah, I found 212 times that Prabhupada quoted this verse in his teachings. So this was, you know, these verses of Rishabhadev were very important to him. So any of you non-dogs and hogs have any comments? Or what comments do you have? Well, personally, I like trees, so. You like what? I like trees. I don't think they're suffering. I think they're, uh, well, okay. They do a pretty good job with their lives. <laughs> well, they have to stand in the cold and the yeah, heat. They yeah, can't yeah. like, uh, say, oh man, it's too cold here. Or, oh man, it's too hot. And of course they can easily get cut down. Um, so according to the Shastra, it's not a very, uh, impressive, uh, um, life because you, you can't like pick up and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to Florida for the winter. <laughs> Right, or something like that. Uh, now, there are some pious trees that get to um, do service. Um, Prabhupada would talk about pious and impious trees. You know, there's some trees that really, they don't give much shade, and, you know, they don't do much for you, right? But there's other trees that give fruits um, and uh, or give a lot of shade. It's, it's interesting. Um, Many, many years ago, I, I, so I was a devotee and I was driving to Florida to distribute books. And I remember reading, you know, in, in Prabhupada's uh, writings, how pious people would plant fruit trees along travel paths so that people could have something to eat, right? So we went and we got into Florida, I guess, what is it, uh, I-95, I think it is, Interstate 95. And then we see all these orange trees on the side of the road. So we, we pull over and we, you know, pick, pick a few because we read it in the Bhagavatam. And, and then we offered them to Krishna and we tried to eat them, but they were super bitter. And we found out later that they plant orange trees, but they plant them uh, with uneatable oranges. They're just there for looks. You know, they're just there to entice the people that, hey, you've entered Florida, this, the citrus state or whatever, the sunshine state. <laughs> So that's a little different. So yes, so usually trees are um, said that, you know, uh, people who expose themselves naked a lot will may take birth as a tree because the tree has to stand there naked. Sorry about that, Andy. I got you on that and uh, feeling regret. <laughs> I'm just pulling your leg. Uh, other thoughts? I know one time when you're talking about trees, one time I was thinking I was with Bhakti Charu Maharaj and I closed the door of my car and there was a branch of a tree sticking in it a little bit. And he said, let the tree, you're hurting that tree. Right. This was 20 years ago, like right there on the temple property. But he said, you're hurting that tree. Let the branch out, you know? Yes. yes. And Prabhupada, I think this was in Dallas. I'm pretty sure it was in Dallas. Uh, there was a tree outside the temple, and the next time Prabhupada came, the tree was cut down, and he was very upset that the devotees cut down the tree. And in Vrindavan, if you cut down trees, you can, you know, people can get very upset with you because, you know, they're holy trees. So thank you for that, uh, Henry. Yes, uh, we, um, matter of fact, in uh, Vrindavan, um, you'll see many temples that will have, they'll have a roof, but there'll be a hole in the roof because they didn't want to cut down the tree and the tree grows through the roof. Mm. 
right? Or Prabhupada was insistent and very insistent about keeping the tamal tree in the courtyard of the Krishna Balaram Mandir. So yes, so, so trees are special um, uh, and, and important to devotees. Other thoughts? Okay, mm-hmm. then we will continue our isolation <laughs> and our uh, hearing, we'll be hearing the whole uh, next uh, time together will be about Lord Rishabh Dave's teaching. We only heard one verse. I think there's 26, if I'm not mistaken, 27 in this chapter. And they're all, many of them are really, really um, important. Many, well, many, they're all important. Many of them were quoted by Srila Prabhupada and we will talk about those next week. Okay. So thank you very much for again, being so dedicated to keeping this going. And we made some good progress. We finished uh, a chapter and almost two chapters, right, today. So very good. Hare Krishna.